Welcome to the author who came to tea. Other beverages are available. Hi, I'm Grace. Hi, I'm Kayla, and we are your hosts. Our author who is here for tea today has written the famous No, I Can't Even series that has won many awards. His latest book is Fabulous Frankie, illustrated by Gary Carsons. Hello, Simon James Green. How do you like your tea? <laughs> How do I like my tea? Um, a, a great question. Um, uh, well, a splash of oat milk, um, and I'm trying to cut down on sugar, so um, like half a teaspoon of sugar normally is what I'll go for, yeah. Um, do you have a favourite biscuit that normally accommodates your tea? Oh, uh, I'm a big fan of, um, oh, it's tough, because I do like a, a jammy dodger, preferably the ones with a little bit of cream in as well. Um, and I'm quite partial to a chocolate finger, actually, a Cadbury's chocolate finger, also quite nice. So I go for, your, I go for the high-end biscuits rather than, you know, your custard cream or your plain, your plain bourbon. Um, you know, so yeah, I'm, a, I'm a, a big fan of a luxury biscuit or luxury cookie, definitely. <laughs> Have you always been interested in writing your books? Like books? Yeah, I, I mean, Writing was always something I've loved doing. I've loved it ever since I was at school. Um, and it was something that, you know, my favourite part of an English lesson was always when we got to do creative writing. That was something I absolutely adored. Um, so I always loved it. Um, I, but I kind of never, I never really thought it could be a sensible career choice. And in many ways, let's be clear, it's not a sensible career choice at all. But actually, you know, I went to university and I actually uh, did a law degree there because I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. You know, that seemed like a really sensible career to have. Um, but while I was there, I started writing plays and particularly kind of late night comedy plays and that sort of thing. And I realised that actually this whole world of creativity and writing was something I really enjoyed doing and I'm a great believer in um in pursuing stuff that you enjoy I think life is too short to be doing stuff that you don't like or you hate you know so so when I left uni I thought do you know what I'm going to give it a go I'm going to try and pursue this sort of dream of writing and see if I can make it work out so um so yeah it was always something I wanted to do and I just think you know I just I just kind of bit the bullet and kind of went for it really without really knowing whether it would work out or not. And let's be clear, it was, you know, it was not an easy journey along the way by any means. There was lots of ups and downs for sure, but, um, but I got there in the end. That's the important thing. <laughs> um, do you think studying law influenced your writing career in any way? Yeah, in some ways, yes. Um, I mean, law is, um, law is, analytical sort of subject you know it requires you look at things particularly you know loads of text in quite a lot of really deep detail um, and I think that can that can sometimes help a little bit when you're a writer because you know one of the jobs of a writer is depending on what the book is but you know you're often dealing with lots of different characters lots of different strands of plot that need to come together so in a sense you do need quite an analytical mind, I think, to create um, a book that's going to kind of work and that's going to capture readers' imagination. So I think from, from that kind of point of view, law's quite a good training in that way. You know, it trains your mind to kind of think in a certain way and approach 
things in, in, yeah, in an analytical way, definitely, which I think can, can really help sometimes, definitely. Um, you know, and it was, it was an interesting degree to do. There's no doubt about that. You know, I did find it quite interesting, particularly the kind of the human aspect of law, you know, when you're dealing with sort of criminal law and family law and that sort of stuff, you know, things actually affect real people personally. That was really interesting to me. Um, and, you know, that kind of ties in, I think, to the interest I've got in telling people's stories as well, I guess. Do you think, is there like anything in particular um, that helped uh, the creative side of writing a book? Uh, do you mean in, in sort of studying law or in life in general, do you, do you mean? Life in general. I think, I think it, I think inspiration comes from so many different places. Like I will get ideas in the most random of locations, you know, walking down the street, overhearing a snippet of conversation, logging onto Twitter or Instagram and seeing a particular picture or something that somebody has posted, a news report on the news, uh, watching a show on Netflix, a piece of music I happen to be listening to on Spotify. Like any of those things can, come together at just the right moment and suddenly there'll be the spark of an idea there. So it's not necessarily fully formed. It might just be, let's say it's a song, for example, it might just be, it might give me the idea for how a, a particular character might be feeling. And that might be something I can then spin into a longer story. Or like with uh, with the picture book with, with um, Fabulous Frankie, you know, it came about just because I started seeing all these flamingos all over kind of Instagram and Twitter and people, they seem to be really popular for a period of time, kind of 18 months ago. And I suddenly started thinking about flamingos and what kind of story I might be able to tell, for example, with one. So you never know. I always like to say that the ideas for uh, every story are basically around us all, all of the time. You've just got to be able to spot them and spot them and then kind of work out what you want to do with them. But they're, they are there, they're out there now. That's the exciting thing. And, and the great thing is, you know, the idea for the next major blockbuster book that sells loads of copies and makes that lucky person millions of pounds is actually probably staring us all in the face at this very moment. We just don't realise it. And that's, that's both exciting and also deeply frustrating. <laughs> Do you have a writing routine? Well, I um I try to, yeah. I try to um I try to kind of keep kind of normal office hours, if you like. So like I'll get up in the morning and stuff, and I always try and be at my desk writing by about 9 30, 10 o'clock, generally speaking. And I have a little break for lunch about one, and then write in the afternoon a bit as well maybe to kind of mid-afternoon about three and then the last few hours of the day up until six I kind of do um bits of admin and reply to emails and and do publicity stuff for the books generally and things like that so that's sort of generally how it works but if I'm not in the mood for it that's just not going to work I can't just sit down at my desk at 10 o'clock and go right here we go if I'm in the wrong frame of mind and I think when that is the case, I think you just have to get up and do something else altogether and, and take your mind off it. So I think that's the thing with anything creative. If you're not quite, you know, if you're not quite in the right space in your head, I don't think there's any point in trying to force yourself into it. And, you know, sometimes, honestly, I find it easier to write at nighttime because then there's fewer distractions. You don't get any phone calls. There's no messages. 
there's no emails coming through. So it's actually a bit easier sometimes to sort of write at, at nine or 10 o'clock at night or later, um, just because you can just feel like you're just in your own little zone then. So I basically try to sort of mix and match depending on how I feel really and, and make it work however, in whatever mood I'm in, I guess. So does that change even slightly um, depending on what age you're writing for? It, um, it, uh, it, I guess, I guess it can do a little bit sometimes, um, because certain books demand a certain kind of part of your brain in a way. So for example, with the picture books, uh, so the first picture book was, was Lama Glamorama, and that was all told in rhyme. And rhyme requires quite a lot of brain power <laughs> to, to get it right and to make it work. So there's a rhythm and the pace is right and you can think of the right words to, to put in there so that it does actually rhyme. And that's probably not the sort of thing I can do late at night. Um, it just, I just don't have the, the, you know, the mental capacity for it by nine or 10 o'clock, it's impossible. But um, if I'm perhaps writing a book for older, you know, like teenagers maybe, so some of the young adult books, Sometimes I find that is a bit easier to do later at night. Uh, there's something about those sorts of stories, I think, and because they go perhaps a bit deeper emotionally uh, and that kind of thing, sometimes I find the evening is actually a better time to really focus my mind on those kinds of things and those feelings and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, there, is, there can be a little bit of variation sometimes, definitely, yeah. Um, how did you feel, feel when you won the Wirral Book Award of the Year and was chosen to be one of the most important LGBTQ books in the past 20 years? Oh, oh 50 yes, years. 50 years, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that was, it was, um, that was an amazing, it was, they're both great things. I mean, first of all, the Wirral Book Award was one of the, I think it was one of the first book awards I ever won for my first young adult novel, No, I Can't Even. Um, and it was such a great feeling because it was voted for by students at the schools around the Wirral and Liverpool, which, which meant a lot to me because this was actually, you know, the people the book was written for were voting and saying, we love this book, which was great because that's not true necessarily of all book awards. You know, a lot of book awards are run by adults and, and they do the judging and they choose. Um, but I think it's fantastic when, when actual teenagers or kids actually get to vote themselves on the books that they personally love. And that's so important. So that, that meant a lot to me. And then, yeah, WH Smith then chose the book as, as one of the most important LGBT books of the last 50 years, which was just, which, it blew me away to be honest because I was not expecting that to happen um and it was such a great feeling because at the time I wrote Noah there weren't there, there were some LGBT books out there young adult ones there's not as many as there are now by any stretch of the imagination so there were there were fewer of them but also there really weren't that many that were actually funny um I'd read quite a lot of quite sad books featuring LGBT characters, which didn't necessarily have happy endings. And I thought to myself, why is this always happening with the cake, you know, all the time? Why, why don't we have LGBT kids get their happy ending? That's, that's more than possible and it's what they deserve. So, um, so I deliberately set out to write a book that was like that. And so it was really important to me when people started saying, yeah, this, you know, this book, is important and we like it and and we want to promote it and and champion it in that kind of way because 
you know, that wasn't really happening at the time at all. So those early kind of book awards and, and those retailers that really got behind it meant an awful lot to me. Um, so it was, it was a, a really important thing. And I just wanted the book to reach as many teenagers as possible, basically. So they got to read it and, you know, and got to see that, that actually the world is full of joy, actually, you know, and that was a really important thing. It's not full of tragedy and gloom all the time. <laughs> we noticed that most of your books are about um, gay people. Um, do you have any connections to LGBTQ plus people? Or like, was all of your research like internet based? Well, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm gay myself. So um, with the young adult novels, although they're not autobiographical as such, um, I do base a lot of the feelings that the characters kind of encounter um, on stuff that I was feeling at that sort of age. So, so, um, so there are lots of similarities from, from that point of view. Um, and uh, I mean, obviously I, you know, I do embellish stuff and adapt it and take inspiration from elsewhere as well. And, you know, I've got lots of different LGBT characters in the books and they all have slightly different experiences and slightly different identities as well. Um, so in that case, I very often think about friends of mine, people I know. And yeah, sometimes there is some internet research as well. You know, I might look at stuff that the charity Stonewall puts out, for example, and, you know, see see what the current situation is in schools. And actually, you know, I, you know, before the pandemic, I, I did a lot of personal school visits as well, where I'd go into schools and talk to all year groups, but also I'd often have sessions with kind of the LGBT club and that sort of thing. And I would get to actually speak firsthand to, um, to students who are LGBT in schools right now, rather than like me, years ago you know and it's important I think to you know try and keep up to date with what it's like how things have changed what's different what might be the same what their personal challenges are nowadays you know in 2021 rather than back in the 90s you know so there's all these things are different and so it's great to it's great to be able to do that and and try and put some of that stuff in the books um as well basically yeah um, but it was important to me to, you know, I never had books with LGBT characters in them when I was at school. Um, there, there, there weren't any uh, for various reasons, one of them being a piece of legislation called Section 28, which at the time basically banned books with gay content from school libraries, um, which was a terrible, terrible thing and just meant that so many teenagers couldn't see themselves in a book, couldn't talk to anyone about how they were feeling and felt completely and utterly alone. It was dreadful. And, and so one of the things I've always wanted to achieve with all my books is to ju just try and put that right a little bit. You know, luckily that legislation was repealed in 2003, but you know, there's a legacy that kind of lives on a little bit. So I was really keen to kind of address the balance a little bit and try and, try and make it a bit of a better place for, for people growing up today, if I could. So that was an important sort of motivating factor for me, really. Um, what advice would you give to other authors who want to write LGBTQ characters into their books, but struggle in working out if their characters seem stereotypical or if they're just representing them wrong? Well, I think it's a, it's a really good question. I mean, first of all, I think it's important to say there's no... 
there's no one way or right way to be LGBT. It means different things to different people. Um, and, you know, there's a whole glittering spectrum rainbow of identities and, and there's lots of people along different parts of that. And, and it's all fine. And I think, I think first of all, what's important is, um, is if you identify as LGBT yourself, you know, just to, to write your truth in that, in, in your book, you know, and, and write from your kind of heart and your personal experience. Because if you're doing that, I don't think it can ever be wrong. You know, that's what your personal experience of it is. Now, of course, there are some writers who aren't LGBT themselves who may want to still include um, LGBT characters, which is also uh, fine, I think, because, you know, it would be unrealistic if you were to write a book and didn't have any LGBT characters in there because we exist. <laughs> so you would, you know, we, we should be in books, absolutely, whatever it is, whether it's a murder mystery or, a, you know, adventure, fantasy, romance, whatever it is, just like in real life, you'll, you'll find LGBT characters. So I think it's important to, to, to do your research thoroughly, to be respectful, to get someone to do a sensitivity read, you know, to ask someone who who maybe is gay, you know, if it's a gay character to say, could you read this and let me know what you think? You know, do you think I'm getting it right? Is there anything in here that, that just feels completely wrong to you, you know? Um, and, and make sure that if people do give you feedback or do criticize it, that you take it on board and, and try and do something about it. You know, nobody gets everything right all the time. It's difficult. And whenever you write a book, invariably you have to write some characters that are going to be outside of your own experience because we can't any of us always experience everything so there's always going to be an element of that what I would say though is I think it's tremendously important that authors who are actually LGBT get kind of properly championed when they write a book about being LGBT. I'm not saying that if you don't identify that way, you can't write the book, but I think it is very, very important to hear from genuine, authentic voices and what they have to say, um, because I think it means a lot. It would have meant a lot to me as a teenager at school if I had seen someone else who was also gay standing up in front of my whole year group talking about their personal experiences and why they want to write it. That would have meant a lot to me. And I think we all need role models. I think it's really important. And I think that's another role, you know, another, another thing that LGBT authors can provide along the way. You know, we're writing about something that we know about, we've experienced firsthand, and hopefully, you know, we can help other people as a result of that. I think that's a really important thing. So, um, so yes to all of those things, basically. <laughs> we were looking on uh, your website and you have um, a playlist for your other joint book, Lama Galarama. Yeah. Was, what, where did like the inspiration for that playlist come from? <laughs> Well, the thing about Larry in, in Lama Glamorama is that he loves dancing and he's particularly into quite a lot of, uh, by which I mean stuff like YMCA by the village people and stuff like that. So basically I imagined, um, I imagined what Larry would like grooving to. Um, and we tried to get lots of different, lots of different types of song in there that kind of went from 
you know, quite weird stuff like Enya, which was very kind of floaty, and you can imagine sort of, you know, contemporary dancing to it, um, through to, you know, through to much more kind of cheesy 80s and 90s stuff and, and, and slightly more banging tracks as well. So a bit, of, a bit of dance stuff for everybody, depending on what you like dancing to, uh, was basically the inspiration for the playlist. <laughs> um, does Fabulous Frankie have the playlist and if he doesn't what songs do you think would be on the playlist do you know he doesn't have a playlist yet that i've put together but i think it's something that we should definitely do and i think you know fabulous frankie is all about he's you know to begin with anyway he's all about the glitz and the glamour you know so i can imagine he's quite showy i could imagine him i could imagine him listening to a bit of lady gaga something like that you know he's that type of you know he would love some of her costumes and stuff and all that sort of thing. Um, so I think anything like that, that's quite glam and glitzy, um, I think Frankie would probably go for. I think he'd enjoy that very much. Um, so anything that involves that kind of level of dressing up. He would quite like Madonna as well, a bit of an older reference, but Madonna would appeal to him, particularly her earlier works. Um, and going back a bit further than that, a bit of David Bowie as well, I reckon Frankie would go for, especially the kind of the eye makeup era. So uh, he's all into, he'll be all into that sort of thing, I would say, yeah. I'll do it, I'll put it together. When um, you two work together, do you actually like, it's a bit hard now because of COVID, but mm. um, ordinarily, would you like actually get together and meet up? Actually, um, no, not really. Um, so how it works is I I kind of come up with the with the words first of all. So I'll kind of talk to Scholastic, my publisher, well our publisher, and um, I'll kind of pitch them some ideas and we'll work out what you know what the next book's going to be, the next picture book, and they'll sort of okay it. So in this case, I said, yeah, okay, writing something about a flamingo sounds good. Off you go and do it. So. Off I go and I try and come up with the words first of all. And, and that process, you know, takes a little while. We go backwards and forwards, get some notes, bit of editing. Uh, we do all that. Um, and only when we've agreed what the basically the text should be, that's when it gets sent to Gary to do the artwork. So then he goes away for quite a while and will, you know, we'll start making some rough sketches and that kind of thing, get those approved. And then if everyone likes them, then he sort of does the final artwork and all the coloring in and that sort of stuff. Um, but basically we don't really meet up in person actually. Um, we, you know, we might occasionally have a chat or an email over the phone or something or over Zoom, but, but actually we've never, we've never had to sit down particularly in a room together to actually work out how, it, how it's gonna be. So I kind of write the words, hand it over to him and basically, know and trust that he will come back with something quite fabulous and it's always interesting to see what how he's going to interpret it and what he's going to do to to bring the story to life you know why did you choose a llama and a flamingo as your two animals <laughs> well the llama came about when i found out that the the kind of the scientific name if you like for a llama is actually llama glama and i thought that's such a fabulous scientific like veterinary name to call an animal llama glama and then I thought well that means you know surely glama glamorous it kind of fits together so I started thinking about the idea of a llama being glamorous and then this title came to my head first llama glamorama and I thought well what's a glamorama exactly and then it occurred to me well do you know what it's actually a big 
street party a little bit like pride and so i um so i thought yeah that's going to be the story it's basically about a llama that goes to goes to a pride parade and finally sort of finds his place because that's essentially what llama glamorama is about um and with frankie um it, there's some of the similar themes actually you know it's not it's not what i'd call a kind of heavily themed lgbt picture book but what it is about is about being your true authentic self and telling yourself, do you know what? I don't need to pretend to be something different. I don't need to um, put on a show for other people. Who I am is enough and that's good enough and makes me fabulous in my own right, you know? And that's sort of the message of the book. And, and yeah, I think just, I think I wanted it to be about an animal which had a fa had fabulous qualities, I suppose. And so I started thinking about which animals that suited. And I kind of was thinking, oh, you know, peacocks are quite cool, you know, with their feathers and everything. Uh, they work quite well, but actually flamingos are the one, you know, they're bright pink for goodness sake. I mean, it doesn't get much more fabulous than that. <laughs> so it was like, it has to be flamingos, right? It has to be flamingos. I mean, they're awesome. <laughs> What is your favourite book that Gary has illustrated? Well, other than, obviously, <laughs> other than Lana and, and Frankie, I'm actually a big fan of the Dinosaur That Poops series that he um, illustrates, uh, which is by Tom Fletcher. And um, I see, I really love books that are funny and just joyously, unashamedly hilarious. I, I love that. And I think, because I'm, I'm a firm believer that books should essentially be entertaining. I think it's really important they entertain. And I think the great thing about that book is that it's just funny. It makes me laugh. It makes me giggle. I mean, it's very silly. It's about a dinosaur that pooped, for goodness sake. But, um, but that tickles me, right? And I think, um, I just think it's, it's just a, a book that's just fun. And I think Gary's artwork in it is is really fun as well. So I'd probably, out of his stuff, I'd probably go for, probably go for that one, to be honest. Um, do you think you'd ever switch jobs? And if so, how would that play out? <laughs> well, actually, before I was a writer, I was involved in theatre. I was a theatre director. Um, so if I wasn't writing anymore, I'd probably try and go back to doing that. Um, I loved being a theatre director. It was lots of fun, very creative as well, like writing is. Um, but it does involve working with actors and actors can be really hard work sometimes, you know, you, you have to be very careful. You have to sometimes massage their egos and be very careful how you give them notes about their performance because some of them can be very, very tricky. So, um, it, you know, it was, um, quite an exhausting job in lots of ways. The other thing is that it involved me as well. I was often working on quite a lot of shows that toured around the UK. So very often I'd be, you know, I'd be up in Manchester one week and then up in Newcastle and then down to Plymouth. And then, you know, it was all over, all over England, basically in Scotland and sometimes over to Ireland as well. And that, that's exciting for a bit, but when you're doing it for six months of the year in a different city every week, gets pretty tiring and you're kind of living out of a suitcase you just want to be at home you know after a while and you know with your favorite mug and your bed and all the things that you know make life comfortable um rather than being stuck in a really grim bed and breakfast <laughs> so it's um it you know so I would probably I would probably go I have to do something creative I think so I'd probably go back and do something like that um but hopefully 
hopefully the writing will continue to work out. Fingers crossed. So should we do the one minute challenge now? Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I have no idea what this is going to be. This is actually quite scary, but okay. <laughs> okay, Grace, do you have a timer? Yup, I'm ready to start with you all. Okay, three, two, one. What book most influenced or inspired you as a child? Adrian Mole. What is your favourite word? Cat. How would you like your tea? My tea? Uh, milk, half a sugar. If you were Where's Woolly, where would you hide? I would hide in a tree. Pencil or pen? Pencil. What is your favourite children's book now? Um, um, I, um, I love anything funny, let's say, uh, Tom Gates. <laughs> Paper or computer? Computer. Mystery or horror? Mystery. Famous Five or Secret Seven? Oh, Famous Five. Cake or biscuits? Cake. Blog or diary? Diary. Who is your favourite author? Sue Townsend. Illustrator? Gary Parsons. Poet? Ted Hughes. Oh, you got 30? <laughs> How many was that? No, 14. 14? 14. Am I ahead? Yes. Oh yeah. my actual God. I can't believe it. Some of my answers are awful. Um, like my favourite word is cat, apparently. That's really inspiring, isn't it? <laughs> That's such an yeah. inspirational. Listen to me. What's your favourite word? Cat. <laughs> I mean, I should have, I should have said something poetic, but no, I said cat. Um, Ted Hughes is my favourite author, my favourite poet. Is that really the best I can do? Apparently. Where would you hide if you're where's Wally in a tree? I mean. But hopefully um, that's fine. I mean, yeah, you do get to know someone, don't you, quite well. But I was determined to try and beat the others because I'm highly competitive. Thank you so much for being with us today and we really appreciate your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your brilliant questions. I've, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you to our guests today and our listeners at home for joining us for tea. Until next time. <laughs>